Hey, what's up, guys? Welcome to another episode of Who's Your daddy Thank you guys for being with us today. Super stoked for today's episode. On today's episode, we're interviewing our guy, John Pan Gillinan. John and I have known each other for a while now, and uh, when we were doing this podcast, I knew I had to get him on an episode. He's a super dope creative, has a great history with the car industry as a photographer and a creative. Um, it was really dope to hear his story because we've known each other for a while now, but haven't really dug too deep into you know his history and his journey as a father. So this is a great opportunity for us to get together. Another huge shout out to Pelican Cases. John actually does a lot of creative for Pelican, and Pelican's been a really great friend to Daddio. So thank you, Pelican, for hooking us up with some giveaway items and also protecting all of our podcast gear so if you guys need some cases to keep your stuff protected make sure you go hit a pelican they got great cases great coolers great backpacks all this great stuff so make sure you guys give them a follow check them out and get some dope gear so thank you guys for listening here we go all right john thank you so much for being a part of the podcast man welcome yeah happy to be here thank you man so yeah i really want to kind of have this be an outlet for kind of you to share your story with us man so i'd love to to get started by looking back to your childhood and kind of telling that side of the, your story and just where you come from, what your childhood was like or anything, anything cool you have about that. Yeah, I was actually, I was born in the Philippines in 1980. And, but quickly within my, within a few months, my parents moved us to Nigeria where my dad got a job as a doctor there. Um, and I think within, I turned one in Nigeria, which is crazy. And then we moved to the state um, when I was probably almost two um, and lived with relatives and family on the East Coast, jumping around from Connecticut to New York and even Tennessee for a little bit. Uh, and so I have three younger brothers. With all, we're all born in different places. One was born in Connecticut, one in Tennessee, and one in California. Um, and I spent kindergarten through fourth grade in New York, um, upstate New York area, uh, probably about a couple hours away from the city. So growing up there was, you know, you had four seasons, you had snow days. So just remembering all of that, that's when um, video games were just popping off. So you had Nintendo. But I also remember like my family wasn't well off. We weren't, we didn't have like the biggest house. We didn't live in like the nicest neighborhood from what I recall. Um, and I actually visited that area a few years back with my wife just to kind of remember what it, what it was like. And one, one of our houses that we lived in, we couldn't even access because that street was closed off for good. So that was kind of interesting to not be able to see the house that you grew up in. And then, um, but then it really makes you like, you know, uh, appreciate what you had, you know, and I didn't, you don't know anything. You don't know any better when you're a kid, you know, in, in that part of town, I, you know, there's a story I like to tell my friends was I was like maybe one of the only Asian kids at the school. And this was also around the time I think the karate kid was coming out in the movie theaters. And there was a group of kids that had uh, decided I was the bad guy because I was, Asian maybe, or the small one of the smaller kids in, in my class, and these kids took karate. So all of a sudden, I'm surrounded by all these kids that think they're uh, the next Daniel son. Man, Cobra Kai. <laughs> That's crazy, man. But uh, yeah, I learned really quickly who to become friends with. So I had, I then made friends with this um, Ecuadorian kid, and he was one of the bigger kids in in our class. And he came running down, pushed everyone to the ground, and you know, and 
that's just like one memory that really sticks out. And I'm like, okay, so this is how it's going to be. <laughs> and then, you know, eventually my family moved to California. My dad got a better job. I mean, back then he was doing whatever odd job, you know, he went from like being a, a, a doctor in the Philippines to selling vacuums door to door, you know, just to make ends meet for the family while my mom was going through nursing school. Um, so we moved to, we moved to, California, Southern California, because my dad got a job here, and completely different lifestyle. I'm in fifth grade, just seeing, like, everyone dressed different. There's, you know, people are, like, on skateboards. We were were near a beach. They didn't know what a beach was back then. Um, I remember kids talking about going on vacation to Hawaii, and I'm like, what? That's crazy. So you have to get on a a plane and go to these islands. Um, You know, because even back then, you know, we still weren't well off or anything we just you know we're just typical family just trying to make it just make it in this world and um and thinking back and i really appreciate what my parents were able to do for us especially with four young boys it's so crazy you know now having two of my own i I can't imagine the sacrifices and how much work that they really had to endure especially become being you know first generation immigrants it's I couldn't imagine that. So, you know, props to them. But, um, yeah, so we just, growing up in Southern California, you know, you get accustomed to the the lifestyle of seeing people wearing certain clothes, you know, and trying to fit in, you know, and assimilate. So really got into skateboarding probably in high school into probably the first year or so of college. And then I got more into cars because it just made more sense and, yeah, man. And so that's, that's a really cool, like segue to like thinking about what you're doing now. And I think for me, whenever I like, when we first met, that was probably like, I think six years ago, dude, it was, um, very intriguing to see like the work you do and the stuff you're doing. So how did you, how do you think that like shaped you into your career now? Or can you like dig a little deeper, give some people some insight of like what you're currently doing? Yeah. Um, you know, going through, through high school, I never really knew what I wanted to do. I just knew the things that I did that had, you know, that I had fun at, uh, I had fun with, um, going to the beach, skateboarding, but I never thought, like, I was never good enough to call, to want that to be a career or thought it could be a career, um, you know, become, being like a pro. So I really didn't know going into college what I wanted to do. So I went in, I went, I got accepted to UCI, um, and I went in undecided, undeclared quickly realized, um, okay, maybe I should have thought this out a little bit more. I picked, I picked that school based on, it was close to Newport beach. And when I did a, a campus visit, there was a lot of guys that had modified cars there. That's, those are the first two things I noticed about that school. I didn't really look deep into what majors were offered and, and things like that. I just assumed every university has every major possible. And then, and you know, you eventually uh, figure it out, which, isn't necessarily the case, right? So I went in and tried different classes. Um, psychology, I've always been interested in, um, and I did well in it. So I ended up majoring in psychology and getting a degree in psych and social behavior with a minor in educational studies. And then I graduated and had no idea what to do with it. You know, sure, teaching would have been the, the easy route to go into, um, but then I also didn't really know if I if that the career path I wanted. Um, but I always had this passion for cars. So 
I had made a deal with my mom's aunt that in, at the time of, of going to UCI, um, I was already a junior and, and, and I had made a deal with her and she said, okay, you're paying X amount for your apartment in Irvine. What if you came and lived with me and helped take care of me because she couldn't drive anymore. She had, she had lost her um, part of her vision and things and she had a house. Actually, it was one of the houses that we first lived in when we first moved to the, uh, to the West Coast. So I said, oh, interesting. And all my friends were lived, and that was the city that I grew up in, um, in La Mirada. So I said, okay, with this money, I can afford a nicer car. I ended up getting, actually, I leased a BMW 3 Series and, and went to a car show and decided, okay, I'm going to look at what parts I can get for this to make it a little bit nicer. And Originally, I just planned to lower it, put some wheels on it, and, and call it a day. Uh, but I had met a, a fr- uh, who is now like one of my closest friends um, at that show. He had opened a shop. He had a few cars on display. Um, his shop was DTM Auto House in Alhambra. I First, I had called a different shop, and that guy just kind of blew me off, and he was kind of a dick on the phone. But then I called Stan at DTM, and we spent maybe an hour or so. I don't know if he even remembers this. But we spent probably an hour or so on the phone, and he was just explaining all these parts and things that I could do to this BMW. Uh, after um, after visiting the shop and buying some, and spending a lot of money there, I uh, it, and then getting to know Stan, um, we ended up doing some car shows together. He had he wanted my car to become like one because he didn't he was focusing more on the Volkswagen, Porsche, Audi side of things, um, and so. I had one of the only BMWs, so he wanted to really go into that BMW market um, with my with my E46. And he was a BMW guy as, as well. He had an E36 M3, which he sold just before we had met. Uh, and so, yeah, quickly, I was like, hey, I, I can't afford, you know, I'm still going to school. I can't afford to build this car. And he was like, okay, well, you can, how, what about if I sponsor you? And then you just hold, and then you ha- you carry a tab with our shop because I know you're good for it. That was <laughs> after that, it was game over. You know, I ended up doing some crazy stuff to a lease car, mind you. So you gotta like undo everything before you give the keys back. And it, I went, I did a custom paint job. I did custom Brandywine House of Colors paint on it, and then that wasn't good enough. Then I ended up doing a custom wide body on it, and then it just kind of snowballed from there. Where I was just, I got hooked, and I. Ended up competing in car shows like Import Show Off, Hot Import Nights at the time, and all these other events, and started winning. And I'm somewhat of a competitive person, so I just kept doing things that I knew would help win these these awards, and and then eventually get on the cover of the magazine. So I, I reached all those goals. I got on the cover of Performance BMW, uh, Euro Tuner magazine, and and won, I think it's 2003, best BMW in the nation. So because I got a state ref ticket and <laughs> all these bills piled up, I decided, you know what, I'm going to retire. Kind of like Jordan, just retire at the top and never look back. Yeah. And I, and I held true to that. I, I, I said, this is going to be my last car show, and everyone was like, no, it's not. And it really was. I sold the car. The guy I sold it to ended up showing it a few more times, at least that I, that I know of. And... Um, but by then I was, you know, I, I was working at the, uh, by then I had started working at the shop at DTM, helping with um, sales and marketing. 
Um, but one of our sponsors was a shoe company called Speedwell Footwear. And these guys are based out of Costa Mesa. Um, the team at the time was a couple of guys from that used to work at Burton Snowboards. One of them actually helped, uh, was one of the founders of Gravis. And uh, he was part of the original team that started Gravis Footwear um, for Burton. So I was like, wow, these guys are cool. They get it. Um, you know, and they're Orange County, and I'm always in Orange County. And so eventually they ended up hiring me to do marketing because they didn't also understand automotive, but they want, they knew that it was, it was some, they, they, I mean, their, their, that brand was rooted in driving. So they had a, a series of driving shoes. So what, what I was able to bring to the table was the program to where we were able to have signature shoes, things I found in action sports, but for the new emerging drifting in the U S so as formula drift was launching and as, um, and as I started working at this company, we then decided, all right, let's, let's ride this wave and let's get some signature athletes on here. So we sponsored Sam Ubinet, Ken Gushi, Dai Yoshihara. At the time, we did um, some lifestyle shoes with RJ Devera, who's a close friend, but you know he had a little bit of fame from being in the first Fast and Furious, as well as a consultant from various things. And at the time, he had an MTV show. Um, so he was like our lifestyle guy and we wanted to not just do driving shoes, but we wanted to do lifestyle shoes. And that really got me going, you know, I'm like, wow, I can take all the stuff that I had learned and from the action sports industry. And now I'm playing at the automotive. I'm like, this is amazing. Um, but I think we're a little bit ahead of our time because we also did like special limited edition shoes. We did some stuff with, um, with Mark Arsenal from, from Satlace Illis. We had some drift unit shoes. We did all of the fun stuff. But eventually, we were owned by the, the, our parent company was the factory out of China. They didn't understand this Japanese motorsport that we were um, revolving the brand around. And even though sales were starting to go up, um, we were, you know, things were just, they were, they were, uh, they were making it difficult for the team. So. Eventually, everyone started disbanding and going, going and doing their own thing. I stuck around for a little bit before um, actually hiring this agency uh, to represent us for PR and creative. Um, so this, this, that agency ended up hiring me and brought me on when they were somewhat starting. I, um, so we, I think I was maybe like their third or fourth client. So I worked at that agency, I think about seven years. You know, and that really, and they were an automotive lifestyle agency. Um, and so I really got more involved on the PR side of things. I helped bring in Formula Drift as a client and managed their their media team for over a decade. I think it was like 11 or 12 years um, before, before um, moving on from that. But while at the agency, you know, I worked with so many different brands from Recaro to Brembo to... North Energy Drink, American Racing, you know, you name it, probably worked with that, with one of those automotive companies. Um, but at the same time, you know, I had kind of different aspirations. Um, I had decided that I wanted to take photography, something that I've always been into, something that like my dad was into, but take it more seriously. You know, and this was like the rise of the DSLR. So 
I invested in myself and bought a, a Canon 7D um, and just started shooting. And I, you know, I was trying to, I, I knew how much we were paying event photographers for these PR events. And I said, hey, if I, if I just pick up a camera and take the photos that I know I need for my, for my press releases, can we, um, you know, can you just pay me, but pay me maybe a little bit less than you would have paid this event photographer? So we, that worked out. And then eventually, I, I realized that I enjoyed it a lot more being on the creative side again and being able to do things for myself. And we were also, you know, I was also producing videos for clients and things like that. Um, so I decided to go out on my own because when you're, when you're at an agency, you're, you're working for, for someone else and you're doing, you're, you're grinding and you're working and you're doing cool stuff and there's a lot of perks, but at the same time, you're not doing it, you know, you're not growing your, yourself, you know, and you're always going to be under the shadow of that agency. So I had wanted to, one, take photography up more and get more projects where I'm able to shoot and be creative. And two, I wanted more freedom just to, just for anything, right? Because I, I was also, at that time, I was commuting two hours a day, you know, one hour to get to downtown LA and one hour to get home, minimum. So, you know, that that just drained me. So I eventually I was like, I'm just going to do this leap of faith and go out on my own and not really knowing what I was going to do, but I knew I had a couple of clients and I was already doing some media work on the side um, because I just, I needed to just make more money, you know? So while you're, so I was like trying to, I was doing media stuff, which I enjoyed. I was blogging on sites that way, which led me to contribute to all these other sites, the hundred hype beast, uh, Carryology Acquire, and then eventually some print magazines as well. So I was doing that on the side just for extra income and because I enjoyed it. And then all these opportunities presented themselves working with brands like Nike, Adidas, going on these extravagant press trips with Lexus and Tudor watches and things. And um, I wanted to explore that side a little bit more. Uh, so uh, then I also, you know, I, so those opportunities were there photography was picking up the video production was picking up and then eventually and this is all within the last couple of years eventually I, you know i had other passions outside of automotive that i wanted to do work in so other fields and i was you know outside of even streetwear and sneakers so like the outdoors and i really want to start getting into camping more my wife's into camping and going out and um she had gotten pregnant and with with crew their first did and I I was like okay the next project car that I'm gonna build because I, I built I, I continued building project cars for various companies having worked with uh, Scion Ford um, and then eventually Hyundai and I I did this um, yeah now it's four years ago uh, what I call the Adventure Mobile which is a Hyundai Tucson with a rooftop tent custom army green paint um, that was built to to go exploring, but with the family. So, you know, just camping and that was going to become the vehicle that while my wife was pregnant, that once we had the family that we were going to use, you know, but then not realizing that after you have your kid, that first year is just, you're just trying to do damage control and just maintain, you know? Yeah, for so. sure. You're just like, you're catching up and not trying to run out of steam or figure out which, which ways up most of the time. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and then someone on Instagram essentially, 
made me an offer for that car that I couldn't refuse because he had cash in hand. And, you know, at some point everything's for sale. And, and, uh, yeah, I sold that and took a few couple years off to, to, uh, just not do any project cars. Um, but then this year I built a new, uh, Hyundai, uh, Santa Fe, which I will, I'll be able to take out with the family who's now grown. Now I have a daughter, um, she was, uh, about a year and a half now. So she'll, she'll be a year and a half, um, soon. And yeah, and we're going to, we're going to be starting some more trips and so I'm looking forward to that. So it should be pretty fun. For sure. And I think like the cool thing is just like hearing that story right off the top is just moving to California. It kind of really shaped what you're doing today. Right. So from being a child growing up here in California, each step you kind of took a piece from that and kept growing and growing and growing. So when like your fatherhood journey started, were you guys fully prepared or did you just kind of just get thrown into it? Like what was, what was your feelings initially when that happened? Oh uh, yeah. When, you know, becoming a dad definitely was something that was planned. You know, I've always wanted to have a family. Um, but at the same time, you know, in my twenties, you know, it was very like, you know, it just, it was work and it was play. It was going out on the weekends with the boys and having fun. And it wasn't until my late twenties when I met, uh, Danielle, who's my wife now that, you know, I was really taking things really seriously with wanting to have and knowing that all right, I found a person to have a family with. And we dated for a long time. We just enjoyed being single or, you know, without, without kids at least and traveling. And, and, you know, we thankfully been able to, to go to many places, just, just us. Cause we knew once we had a kid, it's going to, that cha- that changes everything. Um, so we spent, you know, at, at, and the, you know, and we got married once, uh, you know, right before Cruz was like 2000. I'm trying to do the math in my head. And again, everything's such a blur. Um, but the, the thing that really forced me, because we were just happy just being together and not having official, you know, um, marriage title. But my, my dad was, uh, he got really sick. He had diabetes really bad. And in 2012, he, and this was, I think, even the same year that I, I launched my company. So he, he got sick, and one of our last conversations before he passed was he basically said, when are you going to get married? She's a good girl. Just get married. And then he passed, and, you know, I had to go through that and the, the entire family, me being the oldest. I had all of that weight on my shoulders. Um, so I had to get through all of that. But then I had this unique opportunity to shoot this um, art festival in Hawaii called Pow Wow. And it ended up falling on the weekend of uh, Valentine's Day that year. And I thought back to what my dad had said about, you know, getting married and just doing it. And kind of on a whim, uh, even just a few days before I left for Hawaii, because I had left earlier, I decided to go get the ring. And I already had known that Danielle was going to come in a few days later because she had work to meet me out there in Hawaii and so we could spend Valentine's Day together. And I'm just like, you know what, we're in Hawaii. It's Valentine's Day. I'm going to do every cliche and, and just check that off and, and just, you know, and just propose. So after, you know, after planning, then it was planning the wedding and it was getting married and we ended up 
going kind of crazy there too because we decided to do a destination wedding. So we got married in Maine. No real reason outside of we visited uh, a year or two before that, uh, before our wedding, and just fell in love with the area and uh, wanted to spend some time with friends and family there because they would never have an excuse otherwise to visit Maine. Um, so I suggest if anyone loves the outdoors and, and lobster rolls to, to go there. Um, but then after that, I was like, okay, now it's time to start the family. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, and I, the funny thing is I had gone the following year to Palau again in Hawaii. And upon coming back, Danielle had a present for me. And, uh, and that's how she broke the news that she was pregnant. It was a, she put the little peace stick and a pair of, of these little kid vans and said, Oh, we're expecting. And then after that, it was okay. Game on. We we're gonna have a kid. That's awesome, man. How did that how that change you right away? Did it did it hit you like with an overwhelming sensation, or did, were you like, okay, I got this? Or I mean, what was that that initial feeling like for you? The, when I first found out that Danielle was pregnant, I mean, it was just like it was really a no shit moment. It was okay, what do we need to do to to get this done? And just like even some work projects and how things, like my personality is when I get overwhelmed or I get a little stressed, it's like, okay, what do, what, it, what is it that I need to do? What are the next steps in order to achieve that goal? What do I need to do? But everything kind of, at, in the moment, I'm like, I'm kind of going crazy. But I kind of contain it and until it's like, okay, I'll get a good night's rest and then let's just tackle it the next day. And and then it was like, okay, what do we need to do? Let's start figuring out, let's get the doctor, let's budget, let's do all of this stuff. And then at the same time, it's like, wow, this is exciting. This is, this is crazy. You know, it's a, uh, it's definitely one of those things like what, if you can grasp it and you can feel it, then it, it gets you. And then you feel like, okay, cool. We can figure it out. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And then that nine months is like, it goes by pretty quickly, actually, and there's all these special moments within it, you know, from the ultrasounds to finding out the sex of the, the baby to going to the, doing all the classes to going to the hospital and um, during the, you know, and then going, coming up to the due date and you just don't know when it's going to happen. And, you know, that, both my kids, when they were born, um, both of those days, to me, I, I I'll never forget because both of those days were very unique in in their own right and very stressful at the same time, you know. Um, and somehow my wife was able to endure hours upon hours of of labor, you know. And that's crazy to see too. And I've now been through cruise with a C-section and and Layla, um, she was a natural birth. But both of those are so crazy and in their own way. And yeah, just, I mean, only, only parents would understand that. Like you couldn't tell a kid what they're going to experience that day of your kid being born because it, it's just one of the, your, your emotions are just all over the place and you're probably running on maybe a couple hours of sleep. You're not really eating either. And uh, so you're not really, you know, you're losing a little bit of focus. You're trying to be there for your wife. And yeah, and then things just happen so quickly. And until you have that, that baby in your hand, it's not that real yet. 
And then once you hold your baby, you're like, oh, wow, this is real. This is crazy. <laughs> yeah, I know. We're uh, yeah. the with the birth of our son. It was just such a trip. And we're <clears throat> we're actually expecting a girl in January. So um, Congrats. thank you, man. Thank you. Yeah. It's uh, definitely going to be another experience, which is something I'm kind of like waiting to feel, you know, it's like that, that whole joy and that whole excitement all over again, you know? Oh, absolutely. And it's the, it's the best really. And now that you have the experience, I think you're going to, at least you'll know what to expect. You know, I didn't, you know, with Cruz, it, it happened so quickly and then the C-section thing had to happen because, you know, there was like, uh, he, his heart rate had dropped. And then we're, they're like, okay, we don't have room in the hospital, but we will. And we're going to make room and you're here. And I didn't even have our stay over or, or, or overnight bag because it was mo- mainly we went to the hospital for a checkup. And next thing you know, we're like being admitted. And it was just, it went by so quick. And, and she, my wife was just on constant um, watch and being monitored. And then next thing you know, I, I was actually, when I found out that, she was really, really in labor or when they decided that it was going to be a C-section, I was half awake. I was only half awake. I was like dozing off and I opened my eyes to see like six people in the room all like rushing to get my wife ready. And then they're yelling at me like, Hey dad, you need to put this bunny suit on, come with us. We're doing the emergency C-section. And I'll be honest, I didn't pay attention before that because I didn't think it was going to be a C-section. So I had no idea what to expect. And it's, it's crazy. <laughs> That's all I can say. The emergency C-section thing is such a, a trip because that almost happened to my wife and I, our son Hux, his uh, heart rate was dropping and I woke up kind of similar to you. It was like, I was dozing off and like eight nurses and doctors came in and like yelling at my wife or like talking to me and I'm just sitting there like, what is going on? But we ended up scheduling it. But I mean, I think for anyone who, is like you think it's like in the movies you know you you get in the car your wife's kind of huffing and puffing you casually drive to the the hospital you walk in and then you have your baby but it's completely different what they portray in the movies you know oh yeah movies yeah that's that's definitely not real life For sure. you know i mean you know not to get too graphic but the story my wife has of that c-section was the anesthesiologist you know because they put that little curtain and then th- at this hospital, they, they allowed the dad to be there. And it was just me and her. Anesthesiologist was by her head. And then they had the curtain. But, I mean, I could see over it. I could see the doctors working and doing all that stuff. And, you know, there's different sounds and smells that aren't natural, right? And uh, when the first time, the best sound I've ever heard in my life was my kid crying for the first time. Because I knew he was alive and he was out. And then... Um, I remember hearing the anesthesiologist asking my wife, do you want to see him? And she said, yes. Yeah. So, so he held up the mirror. She looks and she goes, that's not my kid. That's my inside. <laughs> oh, and I think that was the nice way of saying it. And I was like, oh, that's not good. I don't want to see that. And then I got to do all the fun stuff, cut the umbilical cord, take pictures, all my wife's laying on bed, and, you know, and not able to move. and. Yeah, that was a, that was a, that was a trip. Yeah, dude. I think it's like such a cool thing though. When you think about like that, that first time, um, having a child, I know it's going to be a a trip the second time, but 
the the things you just don't know you know and it's like for me looking at it um those moments when my wife had her c-section we were sitting there and like you said you know she was on the table but I got to do all the cool stuff like take the photos and look at him and um that's really cool to hear man so like with with that like I know you your parents right so coming to this country and you mentioned a little bit about the sacrifices and the things that they did for for you and your family um what was like that that feeling when you would look back now like do you do you have a different appreciation for them are you taking anything that they did specifically that you're doing for your family or like anything you're kind of emulating oh absolutely i mean just you know and i'm fortunate because my parents you know they were so great they did everything that they could for us and um they were just you know they're just wonderful people and you know really after having my having kids of my own and looking back and seeing how they were able to make it work at my mom had me when she was 20 and then she immediately left the country that she was born in and grew up in and then went to, you know, this foreign place to make it and become a registered nurse and, you know, and, and do it. And same with my dad, you know, so I learned a lot of like it's hard work, you know, and a lot of sacrifice is needed in order to, to just make it and that you will, you'll do anything that you can for your family and for your kids. Um, and you know, my mom worked, you know, growing up, I just, I, I recall like, I, I didn't see my mom as much as my dad because my mom worked with work uh, after she became a nurse, she would work these double, double overtime shifts. So she was working, you know, I don't know, maybe 14, 16 hour days. And then she would do those sometimes back to back. And then when she was home, she just wanted to sleep. She was so tired. Um, and then she also didn't drive because in the Philippines where she was from, she didn't really need to drive. So, you know, I saw that and I saw the sacrifice my dad made as he was working, but then yet he'd also have to get up earlier to take my mom to work and then us kids to school and then pick my mom up from work um, later in the evening, you know, at different times, depending if she picked up a new shift or not. I mean, that just shows the, the character of like, of our household you know while we you have these four energetic boys that are just doing wild stuff you know and truthfully we got away with murder and we got away with doing so much bad stuff and we weren't like bad kids but we would do some pretty naughty things growing up but you know my parents are always supportive they always somehow made it to any big function um even as a kid like i remember my dad would do these elaborate birthday parties you know that you do more than just the cake and candles or cupcakes. We would do like full on lunches um, for us. Uh, and, you know, just learning all of that. And then also seeing how my dad would, would react and how he would be around my friends. Like he was just trying to be one of the guys. And, you know, even if he didn't understand skateboarding, he'd be like, okay. And, you know, he would just mess around or he'd, he'd always take us to the skate park and, or to the beach and, you know, and, doing and to spend just to spend time with us even if you know he couldn't really you know at some points in my life he he definitely couldn't afford to take us on like a real family vacation like Hawaii was out of the question but Vegas was right there so we go to Vegas every every now and then and play in the arcades which is funny because you know spending a week in Vegas last week I don't think any of these casinos or any of these places even have arcades anymore right and maybe circus circus but I don't know where you would take a kid now if you were to take them to Las Vegas, 
definitely not kid friendly. Um, but yeah, you know, and just learning the basis for how to have a, a family and how to raise four kids that have different personalities and different strengths and weaknesses, you know, and not cater to one more than the other. Although my youngest brother, he was a baby, so he probably, he got, he was definitely a little bit more spoiled. He would get every toy, every Power Ranger, every whatever that he wanted. But, um, you know, I learned to, to, uh, to not ask for as much and to become more of that, that, uh, that, uh, that like that that just that older brother that's just there you know and sure I would I'd bully my 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 younger brothers every now and then but if anyone messed with them they would have to answer to me first so I, I learned that early on and um and that was you know and that's something that's just uh that's just special you know and just having my kids now I mean it's great. And I try, you know, and I really just want to try to appreciate every moment with them because life is too short. That's another thing that my, I learned from my dad really early on was that, I know you can hear my kid, but, um, is that life is too short, you know, and after he passed away and he wasn't even 65, you know, you never know, you never know when something, you know, your, your life or someone else's might end. So you should make every day count. And that's what I try to do as much as possible. Even when I'm trying to balance work, and home life and everything and just even if they upset me or anything it's like you know at the end of the day you know kids are just going to be kids and you just have to do the best that you can to to raise them right and just hope that they they make proper decisions you know you, you can't you can't overthink it you just need to try to just enjoy it definitely man and so would that be kind of one of your piece of advice for like anyone who's listening to this, who's either an old father, new father, or someone who's just kind of in this new process or this new fatherhood journey is just, I mean, kind of enjoy every minute or I don't know. What would you say yeah. to someone like that? Yeah. I would say, you know, it, it is, you know, it, it's, it's that if you, you've got to live your life. Um, you just have to live your life to where you're going to, look back and not regret anything there's so many things in life where you think of in that moment it's it's crucial it's important but in the grand scheme of it in five years it's not important you know if you know for for me some some people bring up different things like hey oh i have this uh i have to be at this event but or um or i i have to make sure my kid is at uh have to have a hundred percent attendance at school. But I guarantee that kid that would rather it, that day that he skips school with you to do something fun and educational or, or just a family vacation or, or some sort of experience, they're going to look back in their life and remember that day more than any random day of school. Right. So I think you just need to take everything uh, with a grain of salt, right. And, and not have to make everything so serious. Just enjoy it and enjoy that ride and really that's you know that's what i try to do i you know i try to just have fun with my kids anytime i can whether it's you know it could be as simple as just going in the backyard and playing versus uh versus you know doing another email that can wait right you know and that's 
that's that's the whole thing. It's like you, there's there's a balance that that you have to find, and I'm still searching for it because I have to work a lot. Um, but you know, anytime that I can, I try to make sure that I'm doing some fun, something cool with the kids because you never know. You really just never know what's going to happen. Definitely, man. And yeah, and I think it's. I mean, for for me, I catch myself doing that all the time. Is like sometimes I'll some. I'll pretend something from work is like super pressing or super important that I have to get done right now. And my son will be pulling on me in and I'll be like, okay, wait. And then you have to check yourself and be like, you know what? I can put this aside. Like this moment with him is more important. You know what I mean? Exactly. And it is right. It's like emails can wait. A report can wait. Submitting a design or something, you know, for a client or whatever it is, that stuff in five years, you're not going to remember that. If anything, you're going to regret the time that you missed with your kids while they were still small. Right. And, you know, and, uh, you know, and I, and I have to check myself all the time. My wife is really good at telling me like, Hey, you're doing it again. You got to, the kids want to see you. They, you know, let's, let's take a day. Let's go to Disneyland. Let's go to Chuck E. Cheese or whatever it is. Let's just do something as a family. And, you know, and she's right. You know, that those are the days that you're going to remember. It's not the day that you spent 10 hours behind the computer. Yeah, for sure. And I think that's, I can, that's like a perfect segue to kind of what I like to wrap up each episode with is just basically a question of what do you want your kids to remember most about you as a father when they become parents of their own or when like they're just looking back just as you as a dad? I, I just really hope that my kids, when they, they grow up, you know, they just really, appreciate everything that they have, you know, you know, that they are growing up with not everything spoon fed to them, but also they're not struggling, you know, that they're comfortable and happy. And I want them to grow up making good decisions in their, in their life. And uh, also just knowing that their mom and dad just did everything possible for them. And I hope that that just continues. And that's the legacy of that. Hey, Man, my dad, he, you know, we did so much together and he gave me so much freedom to explore and do things and, and, and see the world, you know, and that's, uh, that's really what I, that I hope, you know, I don't want to say I'm going to necessarily pass anything because I'm not, I've, I made a conscious decision not to like force my kid to be, say, oh, you have to be a doctor or you have to do this. I want them to figure things out on their own and, and, and make, you know, it's their life. Let them, let them do what they uh, need to and, and want to do. And you just kind of have to just guide them to get there. Right. I'd rather, I'd rather help them um, through the journey and not select that destination for them. That's great, man. I love it. Well, I think that's it, man. Thank you so much for, for being a guest on the podcast, dude. I'm super, super happy we could do this. Yeah, me too, man. Thank you so much. Cool, man. Well, thanks. That's a wrap. Thank you guys so much for listening. Thank you again, John, for being a part of the podcast. Really enjoyed our time together. And also thank you, Pelican, for all the support you've done for Daddy-O and also the Who's Your Daddy-O podcast. One thing I really want to take away from this is kind of just understanding different father's journeys, right? So we're all in this thing. We're all kind of doing different things in career-wise. We have different backstories. But the main focus is really, you know, diving into our children's lives and trying to be the best dad for them and thinking about what memories we're going to leave. So I really enjoyed having this conversation with John. It was fun to get into a more 
personal level with him. You know, we've known each other for years, but I got to hear a lot of new stories. So thank you guys again. Um, If you could, please share this on Instagram. Send it to your friends. Give us a five-star review. We'd really appreciate it. So thank you guys for listening. See you next time.